Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 183 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week on the podcast, I had a wonderful conversation with a photographer that I have long admired from afar. Ben Williamson hails from the state of Maine and has amassed a fantastic collection of what he mostly describes as scenic photography from New England. Whatever you want to call it, his work exudes passion and a love for where he lives. Ben works for Down East Magazine as a staff photographer and leads multiple workshops every year. Ben and I discussed some interesting topics this week, including his journey into photography, what it is like working for a small regional magazine and how other photographers could think about collaborating with magazines that are local to them, teaching photography and what Ben loves about it, how Ben has partnered with other photographers on his journey, how Ben includes man-made objects in his photography to make them more emotionally connective, how Ben balances shooting for himself versus shooting to please others, and lots more. Over on Patreon this week, you can join over 100 of your peers in supporting the podcast financially, and hear Ben and I talk about his obsession with weather and how he leverages that obsession to improve his photography. Okay, let's get to the show. Ben Williamson, it is so cool to finally get you on the podcast. I've been wanting to have this this one for a long time. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much uh, for having me. And there have been so many amazing photographers on here. And I think you provide such a, a valuable service to the community. Oh, thank you. Uh, and photographers, seriously. Thanks, man. I, and I appreciate all of the... Like you're always so kind and just encouraging in your messages to me. So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, cool. So I think we've known each other at least digitally for a long time because I somehow got roped into being in a bunch of chat groups with people that you run with up in the New England area of the United States. But for people who aren't familiar with you and your photography, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I started back in 2012, and like other photographers on this podcast, I'm a, uh, I, I like to say a musician, but truly I'm a failed musician <laughs> in that uh, I was playing in a band and touring, even recorded an album, but it just didn't go anywhere. I got really frustrated. And uh, it I, didn't like- mean to la- I didn't mean to laugh. I, th- I thought you were telling a joke, <laughs> but you're actually being serious. No, no, no. It, I, I look at it on that time very fondly okay okay, okay cool. i still play a lot of music for myself um and write songs but you know being a musician is a lifestyle that really sucks and it doesn't it's not very compatible with having a family um which i wanted to do but I've, i found as soon as i stopped uh playing in the band and taking music really seriously i i was picking up a camera so i you know, looking back, I, I kind of see that as like, oh, I had to do something creative. So, uh, and I've, I'm a much better photographer than I was musician. So it's a good thing uh, <laughs> that I found it. I, your history as a photographer, I think, is super interesting and unique. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about 
kind of your like the vocational side of of how you've kind of used your photography skills because I think it's it's very different than many people that I've spoken to in the past. Yeah, it it took off so quickly and that I just I just became totally obsessed. You know, it started like a lot of you guys um I was going on hikes and walks and just bringing a camera along and I wanted to share what I was seeing. And my my impulse is always if if I find something I really like, my first impulse is to share it. That's just kind of how I am. And photography has been an amazing vehicle for that. So, you know, within the first few months of taking photos, I started putting together albums on Facebook when Facebook was, honestly, it was a good platform for sharing back in 2012, 2013. And uh, it's gone downhill since, but uh, I found that, you know, it was really fun to put the work out there and I started getting good feedback. And like a lot of people, when someone says, oh, you know, I really like this, I got this little ting in my head going, hmm, maybe I should do more of this. <sighs> and uh, I, just, I just loved it so much and loved the, the whole process of going into the field, taking an image, really slowing down and focusing on composition, telling a story, uh, putting everything together. And at, at first, I wasn't even looking at other photographs. I, I didn't know anything about photography. Um, I was just out there doing it myself. But after a while and after I started sharing my photos and getting good feedback, I'm like, I really love this. And I really I think I could I could be good at this. So I started looking to other photographers. And here in Maine, we have people like Mo Chen and Susan Cole Kelly and Jim Salge uh, in New Hampshire. And I, look, I just looked to them and was amazed at what they were doing and I kind of felt a kindred spirit there. And from that point on, I really studied photography. I looked to Jerry Monkman, who I'm so excited to hear that, you know, you guys connected and you're going to have him on because he was like the mentor for me starting off. You know, I was in L.L. Bean, which is a pretty well-known store in, in Maine. And uh, there's this book called The Guide to Outdoor Digital Photography. And I'm like, holy shit, this was written for me. Like The Guide to Outdoor Digital Photography. How cool is that? And it was written by Jerry Muckman. And it, it literally told me everything I needed to know starting out. Like it went through all the Lightroom processing, all the gear I needed, uh, some techniques. You know, he went through a bunch of the images he made in the field and, you know, kind of like Ansel Adams, uh, 40 photographs, just everything that went into it. It was extremely helpful. And I, I sought him out and he was very kind. And uh, we had a correspondence and I met up with him a couple of times. It sounds like we had a very similar start because when I first got into photography, it was all about mountain climbing and I was taking pictures of my journey and sharing it with others. And, and I was like, oh, I should probably learn how to do this legit, <laughs> you know, because yeah. like, so I was taking panoramas and I was doing it in auto mode and it, all the stitches looked terrible because, you know, the exposures were uneven. And so I was like, okay, I should. I should get a real camera, real camera, you know, so I got a DSLR and I literally went to the library and checked out like every book I could find on photography and, and like just started diving in head first, like a crazy person. <laughs> Dude. And that's, yeah, exactly. And that's something that I think people need to hear. And I hope everyone's listening to what you just said. Books, books are yes. such a good way to learn. Like I did the same thing. Like I checked out every book I could find and, it's such a, for me, it, it just works. Like everyone's on YouTube now and I look at YouTube sometimes 
but I can't follow YouTube the way I can sit down with a book and really just like get into something. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. It's uh, it's hard for me to follow instructions on a video because I'm like, wait, stop, wait, wait, go back. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, so then you end up rewinding it, and yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, and I prefer the experiential guys like you know Heaton and uh, Adam for Gibbs sure. who are just out there showing their experiences. Like I. I, I, learn, I don't know if I learned much from that, but I really enjoy <laughs> watching yes. it. Um, but anyways, back to the whole process, because it's like, um, it's amazing how it happened. But, you know, I, I just kept getting deeper and deeper into photography. And one of the first things I did, too, was, you know, I networked with Jerry and uh, met him. But then I started reaching out to, like, every photographer. And I, what I found was, like, photographers are the nicest people (laughs) (laughs) and they will help you. Like so many of them were just so helpful and kind and would take time. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to the big names though. I didn't go to the Mark Adamuses and the, the Michael Shane Blooms. I, I, I went to the people in my community who were doing things that I could relate to and shooting the subjects that I could go shoot. And, and they were all so awesome and, and helpful. And I've been that way ever since I've like really fostered community and hopefully uh, did the same for other photographers who are coming up behind me. But that's been one of the the best things about this whole thing that's happened to me is all the people I've met are just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I I know there's a lot more to, to the arc of your story that we're going to, that hopefully you'll tell the listeners, but I love this idea of fostering community through photography because I think there's a lot to be had through that. And obviously, you know, photography is just one vehicle through which you can do that. But I've, I've had the same experience, you know, some of my most favorite people on earth that I've met and have grown friendships with are, you know, it's through photography. And I don't know if it's like you said before, the people, photographers love sharing and, and they're just so kind and, but uh, I think that is one of the most powerful aspects of, of, of especially landscape photography for some reason. It's uh, like this, this duality of sharing the love of nature and the love of, uh, of photography of nature. It's, it's this like really powerful drug, I guess, that kind of binds us together, which I find to be just really fun. And it's an awesome experience. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. Like, I think nature has a big thing to do with it too and in my photography i'm always trying to connect people to nature through not just you know pure wilderness scenics but you know man-made objects and um, cultural experiences and landmarks you know i love that aspect of photography too Mm -hmm. well so i know we're going to talk a little bit about that later i would love for you to talk about kind of some of some more of your story arc you know so i know that you work in a small regional magazine and you've leveraged that to feature your photography but also like make a living out of landscape and i guess for lack of a better term tourism photography so i'd love to hear about how that came about and kind of what that looks like from your through your lens (laughs) no pun intended (laughs) nice um yeah and i always describe it like i'm not I can't say I'm a landscape photographer, even though I I love landscape photography, but scenic photography, I think is what uh, kind of what we, it's what we have here in New England. I mean, we, we have wilderness, but we, 
we have a lot of uh, people in a lot of parks and it's, it's been, there's a lot of history mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you, you have an awesome, awesome place for wilderness man out there in Colorado and obviously out West everyone, there's just miles and miles of public lands and open spaces. And we have some of that here in Maine, especially, you know, I'm so lucky to be in Maine. Um, but anyways, back to the story arc. So working for Downey's magazine, came about in a very funny way. And I love telling the story because it just demonstrates uh, how stupid I am and how smart my wife is. <laughs> because Isn't that the case for most of us men though? It is. It definitely is. <laughs> um, because I had been, I'd been like supplying photos to Downey's for a little while. And I was so surprised the first time they called me said, Oh, we want to use one of your photos. I'm like, wait, you want to are you serious? You want to use one of my photos? No way. But after a while, they started using more of my images and they started sending me on assignments uh, in scenic and nature photography, which honestly, having an assignment to shoot a landscape photo is freaking hard. Like I, I'm trying to tell them like, guys, this is really dependent on the weather and conditions. And, you know, I don't know if I can make anything out of this, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they sent me and I, I, decent results. And uh, one day I got a a phone call and it was the editor in chief of Downey's magazine. She said, I'm the editor in chief of Downey's magazine. I'm like, Oh my God. Hi. (laughs) And uh, she's like, you know, we really love your photography. Uh, How how would you like to work for us? I'm like, Oh, I I do love working for you. And I've enjoyed it quite a bit. She's like, no, how would you like to work on staff here? I was like, oh, like, my, oh God. my gosh. <laughs> and dude, and the next thing I said was, uh, I'll have to think about it. And in my head, I'm, I'm going, I kind of like what I'm doing. I'm bartending. I, I'm making good money. I, I have the schedule where I work from four in the evening to 1030 at night. And it's so cushy. And I have all day long to just do photography and shoot exactly what I want and just follow my passion and, um, I was thinking like, oh, if I'm tied down to to working for Downey's Magazine, is that going to be that great? (laughs) Then I told my wife, she's like, who's that on the phone? I'm like, oh, it's the editor-in-chief of Downey's Magazine. And she wanted to offer me a job. And Kim goes, well, you said yes, right? And I go, I told her I'd think about it. She's like, you freaking idiot. You need to call her back right this second (laughs) and tell her, yes, yes, you want the job. And I, I, I did. I called her right back and said, you know, yes, I'd love to come in. And, you know, there was further discussion about it, but I said yes. And then I asked, you know, some of my friends, I asked Michael Blanchett, who's a good friend and mentor. And he said, you should definitely take this job. You know, this this puts you in the realm of a professional photographer. You know, you can say, you know, you're not just a shutterbug out there shooting what makes you happy, even though that's what I wanted to be. But he's like, you know, you can you can call yourself a professional photographer and I think this will be really good for you. And it was, they, they were so right. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm curious a lot. Of, I think a lot, there's a lot of people out there that that's kind of like the dream, you know, I have this passion and I want to like get paid uh, professionally to do this passion, but I'm curious, has there been any part of this experience for you where it's caused you to, have issues around like, Oh, my job is my passion. And, and like, it's making it less 
fun to have this passion? Like, is there any of that stuff happening in your life? Yeah, man, <laughs> that definitely is. Yeah. That's part of it. And, you know, you notice that the, mo- I, I, I'm so lucky that I'm just, I'm honestly just lucky. Um, and that, you know, my, my primary income is photography. I've also had my own business, uh, selling my prints and licensing and and doing other things, art shows. So my second job is also photography. You know what? My hobby is also photography. I also would just go out there and do this by myself uh, if no one was paying me. And if, you know, if I had no other motivation, I'd still be doing this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you start doing it, when you're told to do something, it can, it can kind of kill the fun a little bit. But I think also... You, you can't get into that mindset and you can't, you can't make that a bummer. You need to like rise to the challenge and you need to see it for what it is, which is an amazing opportunity. It's a chance to learn and grow and it's a chance to collaborate, which I think collaboration is one of the most satisfying aspects of photography for me. Now, you know, I get to work with an amazing team of really awesome people no one is making any money at this job. Let me tell you, <laughs> in editorial photography or um, working in magazines, you know, it's just like the best people who are doing this because they have to do it because they love it. Um, because it's a hard, hard business. And it's it's getting harder all the time. And it's amazing that these magazines can keep going, like, honestly. I mean, if photographers like these kinds of opportunities, they should be, you know, buying magazines and reading magazines and supporting magazines. I think that used to be a, a huge source of revenue for a lot of photographers and it's definitely dwindled. And I'm sure that you're feeling that squeeze all the time with Down East. But uh, I'm curious for other photographers that are maybe interested in partnering with magazines, like what kind of advice would you have for them in terms of how to approach that type of thing. I know it sounds like for you is it kind of just fell into your lap a little bit, but I'm sure there's a lot more to that story that kind of happened behind the scenes to make it happen. So what kind of advice would you have for other people? Yeah. You have to look around and see like, where does your work fit? Like, I don't know. Have you worked with five, two, eight, zero magazine, Matt? <laughs> You'd think so. Uh, no. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. I mean, they're like, they're a peer for down East in, in Colorado. Um, they they do an amazing job, and I, I think they publish some scenic photography, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they should totally have you in there, man. But especially all your like with your um, all the peak bagging and stuff. I think you'd be a really good fit for that. Oh, we'll make sure we send this episode to them. Absolutely. <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> no, but you, you look that's smart. Like so, so what does that look like? Because I know, gosh. There was a there was a book I bought probably six or seven years ago that kind of talked about different magazines that you could submit images to, but it's probably out out of date now and maybe out of practice. Like, what would that process look like? Because obviously, I'm guessing those magazines get slammed with you know requests and emails. Like, what what did that process look like for you? It does not look like that at all. Cold, <laughs> cold calls and submissions are not the way to get work in magazines. It's not the way to get noticed. You get noticed by doing the work and, and getting yourself out there. And now it's, you know, sadly it's Instagram and Facebook is where we see the new work coming up. We see the new photographers um, coming down the pipe. 
especially Instagram now. And it's so frustrating for me as a photo editor. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a full photo editor anymore for Down East, but I, I still do photo editing and I do all their custom projects. Um, but when I look for images, it's so hard to search on Instagram and find what I'm looking for. Uh, but that's where everyone's posting their photos. And that's where, you know, the people who are really passionate and want to share their work are, are getting their stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to make a little name for yourself. And it, I, I think we've talked about this, but staying local is huge. I mean, take advantage of what's around you. I know some of us live in cities and, you know, some of you live in Iowa and there's nothing but cornfields, but there have been pretty awesome uh, storm photographers coming out of Iowa and, you know, awesome portrait photographers out there too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think for me, I've, I've just been really lucky that Maine is a is a known quantity when it comes to scenery, vacations and tourism, like you said, mm-hmm. and Down East Magazine was just a really good fit for me. But there, I, there are opportunities if you're out there making good work. Even if you're traveling, I would say uh, don't go to all the popular locations that everyone else is shooting. Make a name for yourself with some kind of niche where you'll get noticed because there's so much noise and there's so many photographers and so many photos coming out. It's really hard to sift through all that noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I remember when I lived in Colorado Springs the local parks and rec uh, did like a calendar photo contest where, you know, they wanted photos for a parks and rec calendar, but they made a big deal about it. And there was, I think there was like money involved and literally everybody submitted photos from the garden of the gods, which is like this very popular park in Colorado Springs that everyone photographs. And I submitted a photograph from this podunk way out East park uh, called Bluestem open space and it was like yuck there's like a bunch of yucca plants and stuff and and like my photo won the cover because i won <laughs> the contest because like it was different than everyone else you know so i think your advice about you know telling people to not stick to the you know typical stuff is very is is very on point yeah man. and congrats on getting that cover it's got that's a good feeling right oh for sure i mean it was Bittersweet because, like, literally a month later, I moved to Portland, Oregon. So, I was like, oh, awesome. Now everyone in Colorado Springs knows me and I'm leaving. That's cool. But, but yeah, it was awesome because, you know, I felt like it was a really interesting and different photograph that no one else had seen and tried to do. So, I think you're, that's all I'm trying to say is your, your advice about um, trying to carve out a niche that's unique and different is very, is a very good advice. Yeah. And you talked about this so many times with so many people on your podcast, and that just comes from being yourself and shooting the things you're interested in. Yes. Yes. All day long. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned earlier that you were doing photo editing for the magazine and you talked about a little bit how frustrating it was because everyone's posting to Instagram, but I'm curious, what does that process even look like for somebody to to do photo editing for a magazine? And what kind of stuff are you trying to look for in terms of stuff that makes it into publication? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so the photo editor is responsible for every image that goes into the magazine. So 
So they're either sourcing it from photos that are already made or they're assigning photos to be made and sending photographers out. So it's, it's a mix of both of that. Sourcing used to be, you know, looking at stock agencies like Getty and uh, all these, you know, micro stock agencies like iStock that have come along. That industry has been so disrupted by social media. Obviously, we've all heard about, you know, no one's making any money in stock photos anymore. And I would definitely have to agree with that. Like, I'm not, I wasn't looking at stock for uh, those kind of photos unless I absolutely couldn't find anything and I didn't want to pay someone to go out and make a new photo. I would, you know, go see on the stock agencies if anyone might have shot something. But assigning people to go out and, you know, I was the only person they assigned to go out and take scenic photos at the time. I think since then we've sent people out on scenic assignments, but usually uh, in the magazine business and in Downey's magazine, it's sending people out to photograph people in the landscape or people doing interesting things, um, you know, uh, all kinds of personal interest stories. And uh, a lot of the photography that goes into the magazine is photojournalism, stuff that you're familiar with. Um, so in addition to getting photos in the magazine, I was responsible and still am uh, for putting together calendars, which I've been doing right now. We have a, a main wall calendar, a lobster calendar, uh, Acadia calendar, an engagement calendar, a coon cat calendar, <laughs> all these, all these interesting projects. I put together the uh, Camden Rockland chamber of commerce guide. I shot a lot of the photos that went into that, but also sourced photos. Uh, the Belfast chamber of commerce guide, the main professional guides association guide. So all these, all these publications require someone to go out there and, and get the photos that go into them. And that's what a photo editor does. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like, I don't know, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of a photo editor. And it's like, if you have that many projects going on, you're probably just happy to find something that looks good, that meets the the qualifications or specifications of what you're trying to find. <laughs> Dude, that's exactly right. That's so true. And we tell people that all the time. It's like, it doesn't have to be the best photo like that's ever been made. It has to be a photo that fits the story that is, is tr- illustrating what we're talking about here. Right. Which is why most people who have been in photography for a long time, when they look through magazines that have photos in them, they're like, well, I could take a better photo than that. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, but you weren't sent out on that day to take that photo. <laughs> exactly. Dude, so true. <laughs> And that's why, like, you know, professional photographers don't always win the uh, the awards and the photo contests because we're out there, like, doing stuff that people told us to do. We have to make a photo on a deadline. Uh, yes, we try and put our heart and soul into it and our passion, but amateur photographers are putting their heart and soul into everything they make. Um, and, yeah, there's that thing where you look at a magazine and you're like, oh, I could take a better photo than that, but you're not on a deadline and you don't have like 10 other assignments that day. And, uh, you know, you have to get the photo in a specific window, maybe when the conditions aren't ideal. So, right. I've over the years, I've had a few people reach out like, Hey, we have this project. We want you to go take a picture of this building and this place. And I'm like, eh, <laughs> like, I don't know what the clouds are doing on that day. <laughs> oh, <man." laughs> 
that's what we do. That's the assignment process, man. You, yeah. You tell people like, here's the, here's what I need. You, you kind of give them an idea uh, and it, different photographers like more or less instruction about what to do. But, you know, some guys I can send out there and basically tell them like, just go here and get a photo of this. And they bring back something amazing. Others like you have to tell them, all right, go here at this time of day, meet this person uh, under these conditions and bring this equipment, (laughs) way more instruction, but it's, it's an interesting job. And I'm so glad I got the opportunity to do it. But what happened uh, in the photo editor role is I was spending all my time doing this back end stuff. I'm budgeting, putting together assignment sheets, doing a lot of like nitty gritty work that honestly was keeping me from going out and taking photos, which is when they hired me, they, they had this idea that I would be out there like taking amazing photos all the time and doing the photo editor job. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, dude, I'm not good enough to like keep up with both of those. I, I was swamped. I was totally overwhelmed. Totally. And uh, luckily, my boss came along and said, hey, do you like being the photo editor? (laughs) 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 And it's one of those moments when you're you're like at a job and you're like, oh, God, I really need to keep this job, but I'm not that great at this. It's so true. So he he was kind. He's like, we really want you to take be out taking more photos. And we really love what you've done. I started a, the workshop program mm-hmm. where I'm running workshops through the magazine. They wanted me to do more of that. I'm selling prints through Down East too. So he's like, look, we want you out taking photos more. What if we hired the old photo editor back and you can be the staff photographer? And I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? Would you really do that? He's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So now I, I get I, to go take photos. I suppose that uh, your experience working as a photo editor has really changed the way you see the entire uh, photography industry in some ways. Yeah. And and being a curator is fun, man. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, so that's interesting. So I'm curious, you know, you're photo editing and you're looking for work. You're constantly curating stuff for magazines and stories. Has that any effect on how you take photographs? It probably has. Yeah. You know, I'm so stupid. All I just take photographs are lighthouses and lobster boats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I pretty much do the same thing because I love it. But uh, I, I, I do think the aesthetics have rubbed off on me. I think I, I definitely know what goes into making a great photograph. And this is such a complicated topic because it's so subjective and it's so hard to like teach photography. <laughs> Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that too, but um, I, I know what looks good and I know what I like. And uh, I, I really enjoy putting together beautiful images and, and I've had the chance to be exposed to so many. Yeah, I've, I've consumed so much. Yeah, it's funny I asked that because like a couple of weeks ago we had Cole Thompson on the podcast and you know he's all about the photo celibacy and not looking at anyone else's photography and then you're kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum because you because through your job you have to look at lots of photography. So I I would suspect that you know there's there's unintended consequences both good and bad from from that approach. <laughs> there are, and I, dude. I'm so grateful for uh, not only your podcast but people like Guy Tal and Brooks Jensen 
And, you know, like you said, Cole Thompson, who are really like reminding me that like it's a personal expression is one of the most satisfying things we can do. Cause I yes. do, get, I do get like, not, I'm not motivated by people liking what I do. I'm motivated by people being happy when they see one of my photographs. Like hmm. I, I'm not looking for adoration. In fact, it makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'm not, I'm not looking for compliments, but I really love it when someone tells me, Oh man, that photograph just reminded me of something I really love and this place that I really love. And uh, it's, it's really special. I'd love to order a print of that and have it on my wall to remind me of this, this place that I, I'm so fond of. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a great feeling. Yeah. And, and you know, it's so funny that Brooks and Guy are always espousing, like, you know, do it for yourself and just, like, focus in on yourself. And they're, like, two of the most giving people in photography, right? So there's this dichotomy to me, like it's been hard for me to wrap my head around whereas like, Oh, I really enjoy the process of give the give and take. Whereas it, I always hear Brooks and guy are like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta shut that out. You can't listen to that part of uh, your feelings. You just need to do this for you. So it's been hard for me to like, you know, understand that. Yeah. I, I'm, I personally struggle a lot with that myself because I, there's so many photographs I've taken where it's like, I don't even have somebody else in mind or adoration of the image. It's just like something that I find super interesting or different or whatever. But then there's lots of photographs that I take that I know that, or hope, I guess I should say, that's going to resonate with somebody. And it's like, I think I don't know. For me, maybe you feel the same way based on what you're saying, but it's like, I feel like you kind of have to be open to both worlds a little bit, you know? I like, think you're right. It's, it's, it's okay for both of those things to happen. I think it is. I think we have to give people permission to to feel that way. <laughs> yeah. I like, mean, it's okay if you're shooting for yourself all the time or only a part of the time, but it's also okay if you're out taking photographs and you know it's going to resonate with certain people like there's nothing wrong with that yeah this is communication right like art is communication uh we're we're putting we're broadcasting our signal and you know maybe we shouldn't be you know hoping someone picks it up but you know it's it's satisfying when someone picks it up we're social creatures uh we Mm. we're here in this world with other people we don't live in a vacuum and sometimes it's frustrating hearing those guys talk because it's like what am i supposed to do like live in a vacuum and not consume anything <laughs> and not have any like contact with the outside world. Like, no, no, that's not how it is. And not for me. It's all personal preference. And, you know, you, you seem really open to like everyone's way of doing things and everyone, you know, going out and doing it the way they like to do it. And that's how I feel too. I think everyone should be able to do it, do it. What makes them happy. Yeah, definitely. I think what, uh, what you're highlighting though, at least that resonates for me is there, um, there does seem to be kind of sometimes this internal conversation and, or kind of debate about what to focus on, you know, like you're out in the field and you, and you're taking images and, and sometimes it's like, Oh my God, that scene right there. I know it's, I know it's nothing new, you know, like it's a rainbow over the ocean and it looks awesome. And there's a lighthouse right there and it looks amazing. And it's, you know, uh, 
it doesn't maybe like personally express anything for you, but you know that it will resonate and connect with people that like your work. And then on the other hand, I'm discussing, but you probably have had other situations where you see something. It's like, I know that nobody else is going to like this, but I'm going to take a photo of it and I'm going to love it. And I think it's really fun to do both of those things in the same day, right? Like it's cool to be open to seeing both of those things. Yeah. And I don't think I'm that aware of like where I end and where someone else's reaction begins. And maybe that's, you know, my problem, but (laughs) I, I really, I really like, I love those moments. I love like the grand, you know, obviously I'm obsessed with weather and I love the rainbows and I love lighthouses and everything they stand for. And, Sure. You know, the metaphors there. And, you know, I, I don't know, like, how much people's influence on me has influenced my photography. Or, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just hard to tell, like, you know, oh, should we just, like, shut ourselves off when we're 18 years old and only dig from our childhood interests? And um, it's just hard for me. It is hard for me to wrap my head around, like, what, what, we need to shut out or like what we need to draw from as far as what interests us. Yeah. It's, um, I guess for me, I find it's, um, useful to just be open to, to all of it. Um, yeah, man. Because I've had experiences where, uh, I've, I've taken a photograph that I thought was super unique and interesting, but like, I wasn't sure if I liked it and I've shared those images and people are like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And I'm like, okay, if you say so, you know, it's like, I, I believe you. And then I've had other instances where I've taken images where I'm just head over heels in love with the photograph and literally nobody else thinks it looks good. So I think it, it's fine. You know, it's both of those, both of those things bring me joy. You know, I, I enjoy photographing things that only I like. And I also enjoy photographing things that I know other people like. So I think it's okay to do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not usually even smart enough to know what other people like. I'm just <laughs> out there taking right. photos. Well, I mean, you've, you've sold lots of prints, so I mean, you know <laughs> what people typically buy, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's just been lucky that like the things I like have been things that it seems like a lot of people are interested in. And, but that's part of my curiosity is, you know, what is the culture of Maine? Like I grew up in Mississippi. We haven't talked about that, but I didn't move to Maine until I was 16 years old. And part of photography has been exploring and understanding this area that is yeah. still a little bit new to me and still a little bit novel. And um, yeah, it's just, it's exploring your curiosities and, you know, pointing the camera at things that you react to and that, that make you feel something. Yeah. And I think that was something that I, I think I wanted to talk to you about in regards to your journey and also your kind of, I guess, not desire, but it seems like you have a proclivity and, and enjoyment out of including man-made objects in your photography because it represents the culture that you find yourself living in now. And I think that style of photography and exploring the world and experiencing it is, is a really rewarding one. And I'm curious to hear kind of how that's worked out for you. It's been totally natural in that like, I'm going to go super nerdy here, but like when I was... <laughs> When I was a kid, I was always playing SimCity and yeah. playing Civilization. And that part of life has always fascinated me, the culture and, you know, what people uh, 
do to relate to the environment. And I love the places where it seems like we are interacting with the environment in a pl- in a way that just makes sense. And now I'll say, you know, in a way that's sustainable, in a way that just feels like this is good for us. Um, you know, my, one of my favorite quotes by David Attenborough, and I always tell people this all the time, and there's a really good David Attenborough uh, documentary on Netflix right now, but he says that we... Uh, the earth does not need humans. And that's pretty clear, right? <laughs> but humans need the earth. And that's where that's what I'm fascinated in. I'm fascinated at the, the places where we meet the landscape and we interact with it. Mm. Well, and I think, you know, things like uh, crab, crab shacks and fishing, fishing. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't live in your area. So I don't know what those things are called, but you know, the stuff that man made to help them fish. <laughs> yeah. It's and then, all lobster you know, here. Lobster, yeah. So, lobster. You know, and, and, and lighthouses, like those are things that like we created so that we can use the earth to survive. Right. And third yeah. and, and flourish. And I think integrating those types of things into your landscape photography, I think not only helps tell a story, but also kind of shares the culture that you find yourself immersed in. And I think, you know, obviously people that have visited those places that that probably resonates quite deeply with some of those people, I would think. That is, yeah, that's what, that's what resonates even more than, I guess, more than the wilderness stuff, but that resonates too, obviously, but people seeing uh, landmarks that they're familiar with and places that they're familiar with. As soon as you put a human in your photo, you know how it changes the way you look at it. It's it, like your eye just goes right to the person, right? hundred percent. I think it's the same with um, including a man-made object. You're immediately drawn to that and you're like, all right, now how does this relate to the rest of the photo? And it's really a great way to provide a focal point. Whereas in nature, sometimes you don't have a focal point and your eye just kind of wanders about the photo. And that's, that's fine if that's what you're going for. But uh, having that man-made object as a focal point and then building the image around that and telling the story has always been fun for me. Yeah, dude, I'm curious, what does that even look like for you in terms of your process of seeing those uh, scenes? Because it sounds like it's a very integral part of your process. Yeah, it is. So I combine like the obsession with weather and culture. So I go out and it works well for landscape photography. I go out in bad weather um, and dramatic lighting. And I, I like to think of my photos as a celebration. I'm, I'm honestly just trying to celebrate what I see around me and like sh- shed light on the positive and humanity. We're all very well aware of our shortcomings and the failures <laughs> and uh, all the shitty things going on in the world. But for me, I've, I just want to provide, I don't even know if I want to provide, but I, I need that antidote myself. You know, I need I need to see the things that are good. I need to see the way that that humans are good and the way that nature heals. And so that's what I'm looking for. And I, I you know, I look at I like going near bodies of water. I don't know if I think about rules when I compose a photo anymore, but you know, I know when it feels right when I've lined up everything in the frame. I've excluded distractions. Everything kind of makes sense and works just based on how I feel about uh, what I'm what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I, th- I think one of the things I heard you just say that really resonates for me is kind of this relationship 
between the man-made objects and the landscape and how that kind of that symbiotic relationship helps connect us more to nature rather than disconnect us from nature. Cause I, I, I don't use a lot of man-made objects in my photography, but hearing you talk about it and thinking about it makes me want to, makes me want to try to do a little bit more of it. <laughs> yeah. That's all dude. That's exactly it is how it connects us to nature. Yeah. And yeah, that's awesome. You know, we know, you know, we strip mine and clear cut and like we're freaking terrible to this planet. And it's so you know, upsetting to, to know how bad it's gotten. And, uh, but there are places we can look and see like, Oh, well that's sustainable. Like that's one person going out on his boat and fishing, catching what he needs for his family. And then maybe a little extra to sell at the market. And he, he has a good life. He has a good livelihood. That's not hurting anybody. That's like, that's living within the landscape. Uh, even people going out and, uh, and hunting. I, I'm, I'm not a hunter. I could never kill an animal because um, I'm a wimp. But <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate people who go out and do that and put food on the table and they're not taking more than they need. Yeah, I, I love that part of, of capturing that and telling that story. Mm. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean – really good photography, at least for me, is all about storytelling, whether that be an actual story or or talking about an emotional state or or inviting the viewer to to use that image to tell a story that they see. And I think when you have those kinds of elements in your foot in your photograph, it can help elicit some of that from from the viewer, I would I would think. Yeah, as soon as you put it out there, it's not yours anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's totally true. Yeah, and seeing, that's right. how, seeing how people react to it and make it their own is is a cool part of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, earlier you talked about uh, your the influence of um, collaboration, and uh, you know, part of your process for starting out as a photographer is you had the opportunity to partner up with Michael Blanchett. And I was kind of just curious if you could talk a little bit about that story, about how you started teaching and, and, and kind of what that partnership looked like. Cause I think a lot of people aspire to, to, to do something like that. Yeah. Hey, isn't that like part of the name of your podcast collaboration? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, no, um, so the the collaboration just came about naturally from the very beginning. Or not from the beginning, but from when I started taking it seriously, I knew that I, I wanted to reach out. And it's the most satisfying part for me. Uh, I'm, I followed Mike for a while. I loved his photos. He just has an amazing eye, extreme technical ability. And he, like, knocks every image out of the park. Like, he doesn't mess around with with subjects or you know, places that aren't going to make an amazing image. And I totally respect that about him. Like he just kills it every time he goes out there. Um, but he, inv he actually invited me to go uh, shoot fall foliage in Vermont, New Hampshire, I think four years ago, four or five years ago. And I jumped at the chance. Cause like, that's it for new England photography that everyone comes here in the fall because it's freaking, it's beautiful. Yeah. And even more so than Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire has amazing fall scenery and, and foliage. So he took me out there and I was out there with him and actually Adam Woodworth for a few days. Oh yeah, cool. And was amazed. And my my first thought was, 
I want to show people this. Like, I want to share this. Like, uh, going back to as soon as I find something I like, I want to share it. And I asked him, I'm like, would you be interested in running a workshop with me? I had run a workshop before with um, Martin Radigan, who's an amazing guy and an awesome photographer out of Virginia. Um, and he had asked me if I wanted to do a main workshop with him. And I was terrified because I never run a workshop. And uh, honestly, I was probably pretty awful to that first group who went with us. <laughs> <laughs> but he was amazing. And he's such a good teacher and so kind and patient. And I learned so much from him um, about leading workshops. He's a great leader. Um, but And I would recommend anyone go with him. But I, I had those good experiences with him. And then the next year, I was a little bit better. And I think that it was that next year or the year after that Mike took me to Vermont, New Hampshire. And I was like, well, let's build a workshop out of this. Like, you know, all the amazing places. Uh, you're really good at, you know, reading the weather and getting out the right place at the right time. And people need to, to see this and to see the way you see these areas. So we did it. He said, I couldn't believe he said yes, because he's, re he's retired. He's a former um, really super amazing software engineer and uh did really well for himself and was able to retire very young mm. and he, he said yes that he would lead a workshop with me i think my enthusiasm goes a long long way in those conversations <laughs> but i said let's do this and he he did and, uh, it was a really awesome experience and we made a good I, mean, I think we made a really good team i'm sad that he's uh we actually quit collaborating this year because I've been so busy with down East and he wanted to do more on his own. Mm -hmm. um, but since then I've, I've been collaborating with Kurt Budliger who's another oh, yeah. Kurt's one, awesome. of, one of new England's finest. Absolutely. And uh, I've met Kurt a few times. He's a great guy. Oh dude. He's so cool. He's so fun to be around. Like when you, th when you think about people you want to collaborate with it, you just think like, am I going to have fun with this person? Like, is, is this person going to be <laughs> good to be around? <laughs> and you know what? Workshops are, are that way. Like surprisingly, it, that surprised me. I thought people were just going to want to like focus on photography and be obsessed with like getting the right photo, but it's hugely social activity and it's, yes. there's a lot of fun going on. Like there's a lot of like hooting around. <laughs> right. Uh, I love that part of it. And Kurt's, Kurt's an awesome guy to have along. And he is really good at the photography side too, like obviously. Well, for um, sure. But he's just, he's really fun to be around. So it's been fun doing that with him. So in, in terms of the, uh, the teaching aspect of photography, what, what do you enjoy? It, it's involved. Um, I think I enjoy the, camar the camaraderie mm -hmm. for sure. And I, I, I love helping people. Yes, I, I just love not only with photography, but just with like the world, hopefully like sharing enthusiasm and things that I'm excited about just, you know, will make them look at life a little differently and, and hopefully it's contagious. But uh, yeah, and I, my, I, don't, I don't know if this has been your experience as well, but when I teach it kind of forces you to kind of expand your own creative self a little bit, like, especially if, maybe the weather isn't cooperating or the conditions aren't exactly what you expected. It kind of, you know, the necessity of the, is the mother of invention, but like it really requires you to be like, okay, 
we're going to try something totally different and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's so true. Because here I'm like, I can go out whenever I want to. And I usually only go out when the weather, when the conditions are awesome. And like, right. the good. but when you're on a workshop, it's every morning and every evening. And sometimes in the middle of the day, yeah. which is, it's hard to shoot in the middle of the day. It's hard to shoot when it's cloudy in the morning and evening. Yeah, you're so right. Like, it is a great way to expand your mind and to like do things that are challenging out of your comfort zone. And I think, I think workshops do take you out of your comfort zone, right? Like, Oh, big time. Uh, not just for us as teachers, but the, the students are definitely out of their comfort zones. I, oh, I, I have taken one photography workshop myself um, because I wanted to see, you know, what it was like from, the perspective of a student, but I'm not sure if it's like a good example of what all photography workshops are like. <laughs> and we talked about this earlier, but I, I took a workshop with Mark Adamus because I think he's amazing. And I wanted to see like, how does he do it? And how does he lead workshops? Cause he leads so many awesome trips and he takes people all over the world and has obviously done well for himself um, at that. But it was a crazy experience. Like he was, very intense. He's a great teacher. He's a great photographer, but the experience was probably not what you would expect on a normal photography workshop. Right. And I guess it probably made you appreciate all of the different variables that you don't have control over as a, as a workshop instructor, like weather and sometimes logistics doesn't exactly happen the way you expect. And all of those kinds of things that even the most well-prepared person, something can still go wrong. Yeah. And what they don't tell you is the sleep deprivation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, no doubt. I just did a one-on-one workshop with a guy and uh, yeah, we we basically did it from like 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. I mean, it was nonstop, you know, it's like, uh, like it's, you're working your butt off, honestly. Yeah. Mike and I ran a Cape Cod workshop in June. And the sun comes up at like four <laughs> right. a.m. and goes right. down at nine, and we're doing night photography in addition. So we're <laughs> <laughs> so so you're building in nap times in the middle of the day, dude. We tried to, but I was so shot, and he was a champion. Like he didn't let it show, but I was like, I was pretty. I probably got pretty whiny. <laughs> <the end. laughs> oh, I was so haggard. Um, oh yeah, it's that's hard, part. Man. That's part of it. But man, yeah. when I'm out there teaching, like I am going to give everything I have, and I, I'm learning. So every year I learn something about it. Like th- this last year and this year, hopefully going forward, what I'm learning is that I, I got to stop telling people that I like something. My goal is not to tell them they've made a good photograph or to impart my will on them. My goal is to help them achieve what their goals are with photography and what, oh, yeah. what they're out there, what they're interested in. Like I'm excited about the things that they see and the things that they want to capture. And my favorite students are always the one who are like, have a super unique eye and are just looking the other way and capturing amazing images. Like, you know, we have one lady who is like a graphic artist, a graphic designer, and she just had the best eye I've ever seen. Like she saw designs and patterns and competitions everywhere she looked and brought back so many cool photos of just little vignettes and 
you know, lines and shapes. It, it was so cool. It's hard as an instructor too, right? Because you the the feeling of them wanting your admiration and approval is palpable. Like they're looking to you like, Hey, do you, do you like what I did here? And it's like, you have to restrain yourself. Like, do you like it? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And why do you like it? Cause if whether or not I like it or not is secondary to whether or not you like it, I think. I think but, you're exactly right. That's exactly right. But, that but that that can lead to like some interesting conversation, right? Like, Hey, well, here's what I like and here's what I would maybe do differently, but maybe don't, maybe it's better the way you did it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They say like, you know, people on this podcast have said like, you want to learn the rules and then forget them. Right. But when you're, when you're starting out, like, yeah, there are things you can do to improve on your photography and to make the images that you want to make. Like you can learn things and learn techniques and tips. And, and there, there are a lot of things that you can learn to help you achieve your vision. Right. Oh, big time. So as an instructor, as an instructor, what do you wish you were better at? Uh, Not being so whiny when I haven't slept. (laughs) Um, I wish I was a little bit more, I guess, tuned in. Like I get so excited when the weather is crazy and like I get, you know, I, I have attention deficit disorder and I get very distracted. So maybe just, being totally tuned in to my students even more so than I am. And I, I, I know I'm tuned into them now, but just being totally available and receptive um, is super important, I think, for a teacher. For sure. Well, awesome, man. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the workshops that you're running. And I also understand that you have some photography on a beer can and a stamp. Yeah, it's crazy, man. <laughs> Just like kind of a Forrest Gump existence here where I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> that happened? No, um, the workshops are still going. I've, I've built this whole workshop program through Down East Magazine where I have my favorite photographers and myself out there, you know, leading people around Maine. I've got Mike Taylor doing a night photography workshop. Uh, John Putnam is taking people around Acadia. Isaac Crabtree is teaching drone photography. Freddie Bloy is taking people around Stonington and I'm doing Midcoast Maine and uh, Monhegan Island with Kurt. And it's been so much fun, dude. It's so cool. Like putting that together and like uh, the whole workshop scene's been a natural thing for me. Hmm. And uh, this year has sucked. Like we were both invited to the out of Acadia conference and that yes. just COVID killed it. And I'm so lucky that I have this magazine job and, I'm still selling prints because all these people running workshops. I'm just like, holy cow, how are they doing it? I know it's um, whew, you got to pivot, man. Or hopefully you don't have all of your eggs in one basket. Yeah. So I, I was doing workshops. I did three workshops with Mike Blanchett. I did Fall Foliage, um, Coast of Maine, and Cape Cod. Those aren't happening anymore. All of my stuff is through Down East now. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, dude. I've got I've got newborn twins and a three year old, and I'm stretched so thin as it is. Like, just kind of doubling down on down east, and you know what I can do there has been really good for me. As much as I miss, you know, working with Mike. Um, sure. But the workshops have been good. 
Um, I'm still uh, selling a lot of prints. It's amazing. Like even during COVID, print sales have been great online. I have prints and gift stores all up and down the coast. And I recommend this for people who are trying to make money in photography. Definitely consider print sales, not as just people (laughs) coming to you. Like you got to meet people where they are. And in Maine, that's um, not just gift stores, but little emporiums and Mm-hmm. There can be some really cool stores that have awesome products like outdoors, outdoorsy type stuff. And you just ask them, would you be interested in carrying my work? You know, you can sell large frame prints and metal prints, or you can sell, like I do, little matted 8x10s matted out to 11 by 14 in a plastic sleeve. And I sell so many of those, dude. Like, they just go out to everyone who visits Maine, like, they take those home all the time. So no, it totally makes sense because they travel well and it's probably at a nice price point and it reminds them of their trip. Yeah, exactly. And so I meet people where they are. Like people aren't always going to come at looking for your photos or like, you know, oh, I really need to own a Ben Williamson piece. Like, oh, I'm on a vacation and I walk in a gift store and there's a pretty picture. <laughs> like, right. I'm not, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm I'm happy to be that person. Right. And I think as long as it's part of your overall, I guess, um, strategy to have like lots of different irons in the fire to create a sustainable income, I think that's a perfectly valid approach. I think it's the people that think you can solely depend on selling volume where you, you get into a little bit of trouble. Yeah. No, I that- there's that guy who wrote like the guide to selling fine art photography. Yes. I read, I have that book. <laughs> uh, when you read it the first time, you're like, all right, this guy's understands everything. But then like you think for a while, like, no, <laughs> this is not the approach I want to take. You got to do what works for you. You got to, you got to do what makes you happy and what you enjoy. And for me, getting my work out there in prints has always been super satisfying and uh, putting them together, like printing, I always tell my workshop participants, like, you got to print your work. Like, don't just look at it on a computer screen. You know, printing is so satisfying. It's so nice to see your work in your hands and to go through the process of uh, getting it ready for print and then matting and framing. Yeah, yeah that I book love, was uh, Elaine Brio, I think, is the author of that book. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's been, I'm sure, valuable for a lot of people, and I'm thankful that he put it out there. But, you know, he's, like, super into pushing his work and marketing, and um, I'm not, like, crazy about marketing and pushing my work. I just try and, like, meet people where they are. Hmm. Well, it's definitely a less stressful way of, about it. <laughs> yeah. No, you've talked about it, too, like, the people who get online and, like, spam every single Facebook group that shares photos and they're on, uh, you know, put every single hashtag on Instagram. And I've done that. And I think you and I both agree, like good for those people. They seem to be doing well and that, that works for them. Um, but man, whew, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't do it either. Just, I don't know. It feels desperate to me. I don't, and like, God, just, it would make my soul, uh, cr- it would crush me. <laughs> exactly dude it's de- <laughs> it does feel desperate what about this uh so i'm a beer drinker obviously uh what- oh yeah the beer can and the stamp <laughs> yeah. how do yeah. we get off on that um it was the i actually work and so 
for shipyard, the people who put my foot on a beer can, they knew me because I was a bartender for like eight years. And, oh, sweet. <laughs> um, and that was a great job, dude. That helped me launch my photography career too, because my uh, bar customers were a captive audience and I was always like, Hey, look at this, <laughs> look at this photo I just took. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'll buy a print of that. So oh, that that's awesome. That definitely helped um, getting started. But so they knew of me from working there and they reached out <clears throat> just last year because they're doing a main bicentennial. We just celebrated 200 years. So we celebrated 200 years as a state and they put out this commemorative can and used one of my photos on it. That's awesome. And what about the, uh, what about the stamp? The stamp was part of the Oh Beautiful series for the U S postal service. And they found my photo on Flickr of <laughs> all places, dude. And the guy who sourced it, you know, their photo editor told me, he's like, you know, I had like, it was a, I don't remember how many images were in the series, but I think it was around 20. And he was like, I had 18 freaking awesome Western landscapes because everyone shoots the West and it's beautiful. And he was like, I figured I needed a photo from somewhere out East. So I typed in like, (laughs) I typed in Maine and ocean on Flickr and your photo came up and I'm like, Oh, thank God I keyword. (laughs) And Flickr is still relevant. It is, man. It's, It's also a great viewing experience. It's so much better than, Facebook or Instagram, the quality. I agree. Of, the I quality agree. of photos on Flickr is beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Although we don't need to advertise too much for them. I know. I still, I, I'm still trying to get someone from Flickr to come on the podcast. It's like I want listeners to hear how great Flickr is. And anyway, <laughs> so many photographers have tried to like prop them up, man. You're not the only one. Like I've heard other scenic photographers being like guys like remember Flickr? like this is still a really good opportunity to get your work out there but yeah i just don't think the fact that it appeals only to photographers is a huge strike against it big time for sure but it's still it's still a great site for lots of different reasons it is yeah, yeah. The, the presentation's awesome but yeah they found my photo on Flickr and sent me an email saying you know we're putting together poster stamp would you like your phone? I'm like, are you serious? I don't think I've ever seen my dad be more proud than <laughs> when his son is like on a freaking U.S. poaches stamp. And so it was a really cool experience, and I was I was super honored to be included in that. That's uh, cool. It's kind of surreal, man. Awesome, Ben. So I'm curious. I think you've already mentioned a lot of these people, but I would love to hear who you would personally like to hear on the podcast coming up in the future? The list is very long, my friend. And I wish I could, you know, mention about 30 names, but no one wants to hear that. Uh, You have Jerry Monkman coming on. Super excited for you to talk to him. Um, But definitely need to talk to John Putnam. Uh, He works on Mount Desert Island. And it's no secret that Acadia is like pretty much the most beautiful place in New England. And uh, he he owns it there and is a really, not only is he a good photographer, but he's a great guy. I think he'd have a lot of interesting things to say. He leads workshops and um, students who've been on his workshops have told me that, you know, he does an amazing job. So I think he'd be good to have on. Uh, If you want a photojournalist perspective, because I work for Down East, I've worked with uh, someone, Greta Ribas. Mm-hmm. who's an amazing photojournalist. She works for New York Times and has done a lot of personal passion projects 
and it's just her, she's brilliant. I think if you wanted a photojournalist perspective, she would be great to have on. Mm. And um, Jamie Walter is a former extreme sports photographer who dabbled in landscapes, who's become like a, a multimedia megastar. <laughs> he's, he's pretty, he put together this, I, I hope you've seen this. Uh, and if you haven't, you have to look it up right away, but this uh, main at night, dark sky video. Oh, cool. Oh man. It's amazing. But he's done yeah, a really, check that out. he's done a bunch of cool projects and he does a lot of film and video work now. And, uh, just a couple of other names out there, out there. Dave Dosty, I think, is just such a good photographer, and his motivations are all so pure, and he's, he's doing it for all the right reasons. Awesome. And uh, definitely Michael Blanchett. And he, even though he's probably he's retired from leading workshops, he's retired from working. He's such a good photographer, and really, I think he'd have a lot of good things to say and a lot of wisdom to impart. Cool. Well, that's what it's all about, man. Trying to share the wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of, man, you've definitely just imparted a lot of wisdom on our listeners. And oh, I don't just say wanna... that. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't get their hopes up. <laughs> I just want to thank you for, for taking the time to, to come onto the show, man. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It has. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. It's, it's been so cool to be on here after listening for the last you know three or four years. And I uh, can't wait to see who you have on in the future. Awesome, dude. Well, it's, uh, keep up the good work. And I love uh, seeing what you're up to up there. And it's great to hear that you can actually make a living being a photographer in 2020. <laughs> right on. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you to Ben for joining me for that great conversation here on the podcast. I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time, and it was awesome to finally get to sit down and have a chat with you. Keep up the great work, my friend. Well, one of the reasons that I do the podcast is to shine a light on various members of our community and give them a platform to tell their stories, inspire others, and give us the chance to support them. One such way you can support someone in our community is to purchase a calendar from our friend and Patreon supporter, Gary Randall. Gary has been making beautiful photographic images for decades, and his work stands on its own. Just head over to gary-randall.com and check out his calendar offerings, as well as his upcoming workshops in Alaska. He's seriously one of the nicest dudes on earth. Okay, well coming up on the show, I'll be moderating a panel discussion with Brooks Jensen, Jennifer King, Chuck Kimmerly, and John Barkley where we'll, we will be celebrating and remembering the life and photographic masterpieces of Jack Curran, who recently passed away. I'll also be recording with Juan Pablo de Miguel, our first guest from Spain. Juan Pablo is a judge for the Epson Pano Awards and has a wonderful body of work that you should probably go check out. And lastly, in case you did not know, I have started a column over on the On Landscape magazine where I feature the work of, of a photographer once a month. The column is called Portrait of a Photographer, imagine that, and last month I wrote about the work of Cecil Witt, who was, back, who was on the show back on episode 18. I highly encourage you to subscribe to the magazine as it is filled with really wonderful articles from people like Guy Tao, Alex Nail, and many other former guests. Alright, well that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.